Today's scripture comes from Proverbs 2nd, 1 through 8. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time that we can come together as a congregation. God, I pray that your words ring true for all of us and that as Daniel comes up to preach that we Hold on to the words that you have for us and apply them in our daily lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Why, thank you. One of you. One of you, your mother taught you well to respond to someone when they said good morning to you. My name's Daniel. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at... Alathia Church, and yeah, hope everybody is ready for a, a good Memorial Day weekend. You know, one of the things you may not know about me uh, that definitely surprised me a few years ago is when I became, or was in the process of becoming a parent for the first time, I did not initially have any warm and fuzzy feelings and affections for my child. Now, you might be asking yourself why you should listen to anything else that comes from the mouth of this cold, heartless human being. But before you start casting stones, let me explain. You see, when, when Leah and I first started going to birthing classes, we were in this group of people who were all about to become first-time parents. And as the sonograms started rolling out these little 2D black-and-white printouts with these semi-formed human beings and the outlines of their toes and their fingers and their noses, everyone in our group had a very similar reaction. They would be talking about this moment when the sonogram came out, and they would just look at one another, and they would say to each other, oh my gosh, when I saw that, I just felt this connection to my child. I felt this connection to my baby and all these feelings and all these emotions, they just welled up in my soul and it was just so joyous and so glorious. What about you, Daniel? Oh, yeah, me too. To yeah, 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 totally, totally. And I had absolutely nothing. And I'm like, okay, what is, what is wrong with me? So eventually, I kind of reasoned with myself that because I'm a tactile guy whose love language is physical touch, that once the baby came out and I got to touch and hold and interact with my child, I would feel this warmth that I imagine uh, to be much like a freshly baked chocolate chip cookie coming out of the oven, just kind of washing over me. Much to my shock and dismay, nada. Nothing. Even holding Josiah for the first time, I had this desired feeling that I was looking for that everybody else seemed to get from this sonogram printout, but yet for me, I, uh, 
I just didn't have those feelings that I expected to have. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not like I hated my kid and wanted nothing to do with him. I just didn't feel this explosion of joy like I expected that everyone, around, everyone else around me seemed to have. Further putting a strain on this lack of feeling over the coming months was the fact that he pooped a lot. He cried a lot. And he required a lot of my wife's attention. So what I got in return from him was not a lot of sleep, not a lot of time to myself, or with my wife. This was not going at all how I envisioned or expected it before becoming a dad. But, at about 18 months, all of this changed. He actually became fun. We interacted with one another. We played games with one another. And all these moments that I had envisioned participating in and enjoying with my son were finally beginning to happen. And all of a sudden, one day, my heart burst with joy in the way that everyone else had seemingly had from the initial sonogram. Then two weeks later, his sister showed up. And we had to repeat the process over again. Today, now 13 and a half years removed from the initial birth experience, I am a dad to four kids, two boys and two girls, ages 7, 9, 11, and 13. And I absolutely love being a dad. Though there are a plethora of things I love about being a father, there is one in particular today that I want to focus in on, instructing my children. I find Paul's instruction to fathers in Ephesians 6-4 that we are to bring children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord to be a great joy rather than a great burden. I love dispensing instruction, wisdom, and knowledge to my children. I love showing them a better way. I love showing them God's way. I love pointing out deficiencies of character and showing them a better path on how to live. I love explaining to them the benefits of walking in God's ways as opposed to the ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Why? Because if they will receive my words, treasure up my instruction, make their ears attentive to wisdom, and incline their hearts to understanding, to understanding God and His ways, then they will inherit the promise from the scriptures. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, that comes right before that instruction to fathers is this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I so want that life would go well with my children and that they would live long in the land. I've given you this insight into my heart as a father because today we will be looking intently into the heart of a father who is giving instruction to his son. My hope and prayer as we consider these words put down for us 3,000 years ago by Solomon that have and will stand the test of time that reveal so much of God's heart, hope, and desire for us that these words will penetrate every fiber of our being.
Because in these words are a slice of the abundant life that Jesus promises in John 10.10. When he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Solomon, to his son, writes these words. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We see here in these first two words that Solomon has embraced his responsibility as a father to instruct his son. Gentlemen in the room, those of you who are fathers, are you being responsible with the trust? that God has given to the children that God has entrusted to you. Young men who desire one day to be fathers, are you currently preparing yourself to one day be able to dispense the knowledge of the Lord and to dispense His wisdom to your children? For as many things as you are preparing for in life these days, this is one thing that you should be preparing for now. For this will be a great responsibility that you will take upon yourself with one day you bring children into this world. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, is going to use a conditional clause throughout this proverb that we are all familiar with. If then you have heard this all of your life from people and in reading material that you've come across if you do this then this will happen the greater idea that i want you to to capture inside of this is that ideas have consequences everything that we think Everything that we have reason to be right and true and good and bad has a consequence how it plays out in our lives. And many times those consequences are intended, but also there are unintended consequences that come along with those. I mean, just think about Henry Ford for a moment and his desire to mass produce the automobile. I mean, that was a great idea, but, but yet it had a consequence more than just getting four wheels on the road and you being able to go faster and farther than you could on a horse in a given day. I mean, with those consequences, cars being produced, roads being made, the freedom we get driving, jobs being produced, car wrecks that I'm sure he never saw were going to happen electric cars being produced, all of this from his one desire, his one idea, everything that we see in automobile manual manufacturing has come from one simple idea. 
there are consequences intended and unintended in every idea that we possess. And that is why Solomon stresses to his son, and I want you to see it through all the bullet points, just how much he emphasizes this idea of if, then, and that ideas have consequences to his son. Because he says, son, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart to understanding, yes, giving it this great big further emphasis, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, if you search for it like hidden treasure, then. But can you, can you feel the intensity through the repetition that Solomon is really trying to drive this point home to his son. That, that, that one, you as a son should respond. You as a son, you as a child, have a responsibility to receive my words. Don't just let them reverberate inside of your eardrum and make noise. Actually receive my words into your heart. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Son, don't just like my commandments. Treasure my commandments to you. Son, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline, make the disposition of your heart to understand God and His ways. Son, call out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding. Seek it like silver. And you've got to understand, they're, they're deep down in silver mines trying to bring this stuff up. So men were deep in the depths of the earth trying to find silver. He is saying you will have to go deep into the depths of yourself of, uh, and going down into to knowledge that you will have to spend some time with it. It will take some great searching because God's wisdom is like a hidden treasure. Can you say as you sit here today that your disposition toward receiving knowledge and the wisdom of God, that you are pursuing it in this way? For this instruction is not only to Solomon's son, but it is, uh, it is to us as well from God's word. A few weeks ago, Kevin did, or last week, Kevin did, oh wait, two weeks ago, Kevin did a wonderful job in Proverbs 1, defining for us knowledge and wisdom according to the Bible. Knowledge, he said, was correct understanding of the world and our relation to God. I know that you are here at school, many of you, acquiring knowledge. And you may gain knowledge about many subjects. Math, science, history, psychology. But yet, true knowledge, the greatest knowledge that you can attain in this life is a correct understanding of how the world actually works in relation to God. 
For that is the deepest and most profound knowledge. But we are not only called to acquire knowledge, we are also called to acquire wisdom. Wisdom, Kevin defined as skill in living. The acquired skill of applying that knowledge. And so many times, wisdom comes only through paying our dumb tax. Right? Do you guys know what dumb tax is? Huh? When you do something that's really dumb, and then it really hurts. But you had to pay your dumb tax before you were ready to move on and not pay that tax anymore. Because, see, we, we think we know, but yet when we don't go to those who have, who have gone farther than us, and we have not asked and sought out wisdom, we find ourselves in really bad situations. And, and I'm drawn to this because I was just reading an article the other day that was talking about student debt. And it said the average student comes out between with about twenty dollars to $40,000 in student debt. And they asked students, how long do you think it's going to take you to pay off your college loans? And their average response was six years. The actual average for students to pay off their student loans is 21.1 years. Maybe there's a lack of wisdom and understanding how debt accumulates and how we pay that debt off and how expensive life really is. I was just playing golf the other day with a third-year law student. He has $130,000 in student debt. His desire is to be a public defender. Public defenders in the state of Florida just got a pay raise from $39,000 a year to $50,000 a year. And in the midst of that conversation, he, told, he was telling me how he had this plan to pay off this debt in a very short amount of time. Now, I had not read this article before I had that conversation with him. But the whole time I'm going, son, you have no shot at paying this debt off over the course of your life. The, 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 the path that he has chosen is not a wise path. And no one has instructed him any different. He will very soon be paying his dumb tax. And he will one day hopefully pass this on to someone else and say, don't make the same mistakes I made. But let me say to you, church, so many of these mistakes that we make in life, so much of the dumb tax that we have to pay is because we do not know God's word. Because we have not done all of these ifs of receiving his words, treasuring, being attentive, inclining, calling out, raising our voice, seeking and searching. So much of the heartache we experience in this life is because we have not sought out God's word and applied it to our lives before we make decisions that are unalterable and irreversible. That God allows us to suffer the consequences of 
because, because we choose to do things our way rather than His. And so what Solomon says to his son in verse 5, he says, Look, if you will do these eight things, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You will know who God is. You will know how to relate to the world because you know who God is. And in order to do that, you must have a certain disposition of of your life that you actually fear the Lord. Kevin addressed this topic as well two weeks ago in Proverbs 1. Because I know it can be such a tricky topic, and right now, especially in the midst of summer, our attendance kind of rotates bi-weekly with everybody here and there and everywhere, I'm going to just assume many of you didn't hear it, so you're going to get it for the first time. And those of you who are here, you're going to get it for a second time. Fear of the Lord. Now, now, now we think about that, and we have to ask ourselves, how, how do we deal with this term? Because we've heard in society and culture, well, God is love. And, and you shouldn't fear God, because like Jesus is my homeboy. Like, right? Like, he's sweet, and he's cool, and he's awesome, and he's my friend, and he's my buddy. But, like, I don't want to fear Jesus. But yet, man, you read, the, you read the Bible, and there's this phrase, fear of the Lord, over and over and over and over. So how do I bring these ideas together? Because the world's telling me one thing, and Ashton Kutcher, he's the one who kind of freight, you know, made it real popular, that whole Jesus is my homeboy shirt. Like, he told me that Jesus is my homeboy. How do I, how do I bring all this together, what Ashton is telling me, and, and what the world is telling me, and what the Bible is telling me, of this understanding of the fear of the Lord. Because fear is not always a bad thing, but it's not always a good thing. And when we think about God, you know, there are people, there are people who fear God too much. They're afraid of Him. They, they think fear of the Lord means that God is just looking for an opportunity to smite them any chance that He gets. But yet there are those of us in this room who don't have any fear of the Lord at all. We don't have this reverence, awe, and respect that the Bible calls us to have. Now, I'm going to give us an analogy that that, that I hope helps us put this in 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 a better perspective. Understanding, please, that All analogies fall short in some way, and they no way can perfectly grasp everything you're trying to say. And all analogies are fraught with some pitfalls. But the one I have today, though it has some pitfalls, I think it it very accurately captures the idea that I'm trying to convey, that the Bible is trying to convey when it comes to the fear of the Lord. So I, I, I want us to take what we would understand to be the ideal police officer, be it a policeman or a policewoman. And I understand that this analogy is fraught with a a cultural narrative that is very rampant in our society right now about, about do we trust the police, do we like the police, and there's all of this going on. But let's try to set that aside and maybe any experience we have. And, and let's, I want you to think of the ideal police officer and what their actually intended purpose is. And we've seen this on the side of police cars our whole lives. To serve and protect. So we are going to assume the, 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 our, our ideal officer today, his, his true and his greatest heart is to serve and protect 
the community that he has given jurisdiction over to where he can enforce the law. And you have to understand about this police officer and, or this police woman that their greatest desire is that we as citizens of Gainesville, that we actually arrive at our destination safely in our cars. That we actually arrive as pedestrians to the place that we want to go. Their greatest desire is that you and I sleep safely and comfortably without any fear in the evenings when we lay our head on our pillow. That is what each and every police officer ideally wants for the citizens that he has been given authority and power over in the municipality that they govern. But, if we break the law, he must and will exact the consequences of any specific violation that we commit. And he or she has been given authority, power, and weapons at their disposal to dispense those consequences. So we, as citizens, should have a healthy fear of those consequences. And you experience this all the time, right? When you are speeding and you see a police officer, what do you do? Slow down. Tap the brakes. Why? Because you have a fear of getting busted for your actions. Now let's say you get a little... So, so the first, I guess, weapon at his disposal would be the traffic ticket. Let's say you get a little rowdy at a Gator football game this fall. Way more rowdy than you should. And it's time for you to be escorted out of the stadium. And you just decide you are not going to be escorted out of this stadium because you know your team is about to score. Well, he has a little thing called a taser. And he might use it on you to give you a little electric shock therapy. And that would be a deserving consequence of that. Let's say you go and you rob the liquor store at gunpoint. He has a weapon as well that he has been trained to use. Because his job is to serve and protect those other citizens. Let's say you decide you, you want to go and rob a bank and maybe even blow it up. At his disposal, he has the SWAT team that he can call to come and assist with the consequences of your actions. Now, remember, he has no desire to use these weapons. But yet, because of the breaking of the law... These consequences can be enforced. But his heart is only for our good and our well-being. And he only uses the weapons at his disposal if we force him to uphold the standard of the law. In many ways, God works in this exact same manner. God's desire for you and I is good. It is joy. It is hope. It is love. It is peace. I mean, I mean it, God desires good for us as His children. His heart is not to smite you in any way, shape, or form. He wants good for you. 
But you need to know, through the natural law that he has set up in this world, as he has designed this world, that if you break that law, if you break his instruction, if you walk away from it, you and I will suffer consequences in our lives. Because God has designed the world to work in this way. And so we must understand in the fear of the Lord that we should have this incredible awe and reverence. We must accept the power of God, that who He is, and give it its proper place. But it should never cause us to cower in fear unless we have intentionally and repeatedly broken the commandments of God. For in His righteous nature, to uphold the standard of His law and His character and His holiness, He must dispense the consequences according to our actions. But thank goodness for us, church, that though He does exact those consequences, His mercy toward us is so many times greater than what we deserve. Because He looks at us like a father. You know, yesterday, my youngest did something really bad. I mean, really bad. He said something he really shouldn't have said. You know, but yet when I saw the remorse on his face, when I could tell that before I even had to even think about giving him a consequence, that it had sunk deep down into his heart, this one had touched his heart, There was no consequence to be had. It was simply a conversation, a very calm conversation. And we hugged and we made up and we went on. See, when we turn and God sees remorse and repentance in our lives, He responds much in the same way. But I want to say to you that I I, I don't want us to focus necessarily on the consequences of our sin because that's not what Solomon does right here when he's speaking to his son. Because I want you to see, so the, the father has a responsibility, right, to instruct the son. The son has the responsibility to receive, to be attentive, to seek and to search all those things. But I want you to see what Solomon says is God's response to us when we respond like the son should, according to Solomon's instruction. Look at Proverbs 2, 6-8. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. See, church, if we do those eight things that Solomon tells us to do, that he tells his son to do, then we have this general promise in Scripture that God's response toward us, God will give us the wisdom that we seek. 
I mean, now, now, now think about it. You think, think about James chapter 1. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, we're told, and people will go, well, James said, well, if we ask for wisdom, God will give it to us. And, and, and I think so often we just feel like, all right, I'm going to live my life, and once I get myself in a spot, all right, God, give me some wisdom. Though he may be incredibly gracious to you in that moment and give it to you, we should not wait until we are at the fork in the road and quickly ask and just expecting the answer will come. We should have a lifestyle of seeking and pursuing this wisdom because God is glad to give you the wisdom. 10 years before you need it. Not 10 seconds before the deadline arrives. God wants to dispense wisdom. But notice where it's come from. This wisdom comes from, um, from his mouth. It comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Do you want God's protection? Respond accordingly. He guards the paths of justice. He watches over the way of his saints. Church, if you're not familiar with 2 Chronicles 16.9, it tells us that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone whose heart is fully devoted to him so that he may fully support him. Now, I don't know about you, but I find the idea of being fully supported by God, fully shielded by God, protected by God, incredibly comforting. But there's an if-then to that, right? The if is the heart that is fully committed to Him. God wants to shield us. He wants to guard us. He wants to watch over us, and, and help us experience the abundant life that Jesus promises in John 10.10. But it comes with a conditional clause that there is an if that we must obey. And Solomon is then going to go on to give us three more sets of results, three more thens as he closes out this passage. For in God's response, he says, beginning in verse 9, Then, if then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. The then is that you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path. I'm about to really step in it here in the next few moments. 
If you listen to our world, if you listen to social media, if you listen to the news, if you listen to the conversations of your friends, there is something that is running through the heartbeat of every man and woman and child that we encounter. This desire for righteousness. This desire for justice. This desire for equity. But do we have ears that are attuned to God's Word, eyes that are focused on Him, a heart that desires to do His way, that when we hear people speaking of what is right and just and equitable, that we can actually discern that what, if they, are, what they are saying is actually true and according to the Word of God and how we should live in this life. And so many people are listening to conversations and being caught up in emotional factors rather than the absolute standard-bearing truth of God's Word and how He has designed this world. And though I could pick a litany of topics, I figure I might as well just pick the big one. The one that's going on right now, the topic of abortion. Now I want you to set aside all the bills. This is not about the bills that states are passing. But see, there are people in this world who are saying that it is good, that it is right, that it is moral for someone to be able to take the life of an innocent child inside the mother's womb. But see, as followers of Jesus... See, we are told, according to God's Word, and this is where wisdom and knowledge come from, that when a life is created, it is created in the image of God. That my son and my other son and my two daughters, when they were in my wife's womb, they were no less human from the moment of conception than they are now. They may not have been formed humans or fully formed humans, but they were human beings created in the image of God. And we have no right to take what God has allowed to be created. No matter how horrible the circumstance under which that child was created. And I understand that is a hard line to toe in this society. I understand this is not how you win win friends and influence people. But it is the standard of the Word of God. That if God has created it, if it is a human being, then it has the right to live. 
but yet it is being told to us what is right, what is just, and what is equitable, that if this child were to be born in poor circumstances or bad circumstances and and, and not good circumstances, then why put that burden upon someone else? I want you to listen to me very carefully. Taking the life of your child to live the life that you want to live is wrong. No matter how tragic the circumstances. Now church, in this we have an incredible responsibility to come alongside people who are broken and hurting. Let me me say this to you. One of the great faults of the church is that we are not in this fight with women and broken homes day after day. That we would rather sit in our ivory towers. We would rather sit in our comfortable gospel communities. We would rather sit in our comfortable buildings. We would rather sit in our comfortable schools and our comfortable homes doing all these things. When there is a world that is broken in incredible ways. And if we're going to change the world and how people view God and view Christianity, then we need to recapture the early church who would go and stand under those bridges to where women would take their babies in the Roman Empire and would leave them to die. And we need to be willing to take those children. We need to be willing to support those children. We need to be willing to come along people in the broken mess of their lives and love people in a sacrificial manner. but we can never justify the taking of an innocent life that has been created. For it is and it will always be wrong. Now let me say this to you, if you have ever had a part in an abortion, there is forgiveness and mercy for you. And just let me say to you, Do not be surprised at who has had an abortion. I was utterly shocked to find out so many of the most godly, God-fearing women in my congregation in Seattle in their 70s and 80s had had abortion years before. It was a very high number. The number is much higher than we realize. So there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of hurt around this topic. But let me say to you, God can redeem those things. One of my best pastor friends, before he became a believer, he was the one who convinced his girlfriend to get the abortion. He was responsible. She didn't want it. He talked her into it. And now he's one of the godliest men I know. God can redeem all these circumstances. God is in the business of redemption. So if this is your story, don't be afraid of coming to God. For no sin keeps us from God. For the Bible tells us that his grace goes further than our sin. No matter how far our sin can go, his grace goes beyond it. That's the the whole point of the blood of Jesus. 
that you could never sin far enough that he can't capture you and rescue you in the depths of your sin. Don't believe that lie from the devil. There are so many things being purported in our world today and being pushed upon us about what is right and just and equitable. Do we have the discerning minds based on the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God and the fear of the Lord to rightfully discern? We think that discernment is distinguishing between good and evil. It is that, but it is also much more than that. Discernment is being able to discern between good and almost good. How discerning are you in knowing what is right and just and equitable? Are your thoughts and opinions more informed by the news and social media and your circle of friends than they are by the Word of God? Proverbs 2, 16 through 19. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Solomon here the big if, and then the then in 16 through 19. It says, son, stay away from the prostitute. Stay away from the adulteress who is trying to pull you away. Now, if we're going to apply this to our context, if Solomon were writing this today to his son, he's going to write it under the heading of pornography. Now let me say, having done a lot of study on this subject, I understand it is not just men who, are, who watch and are addicted to pornography. Some saying 90% of guys watch it on a monthly basis. It might be surprising to you that girls ages 18 to 25, 50% of women are watching porn on a regular basis. This is no longer a male problem. This is a society problem and a society issue. You need to understand that pornography is stealing your soul. You need to know that pornography is stealing from your future spouse. You need to know that pornography is stealing from your future children. And it is a serious issue. It is not an issue to be played with. And I have confessed to you that I used to have a terrible issue with pornography. Haven't looked at it in over 20 years. God can break that curse and He can set you free and He can redeem you from it. But you need to know there are still scars that you will carry with you. And guys, I'm going to say this most pointedly to you because it usually lies on you the most. It says here, in this verse, that, that she will bring you down to death. Men, if you want to destroy the soul of the woman you claim to love, you view pornography one time in your marriage. One time. You will destroy her soul. 
because she will be asking for the rest of her life, am I enough? He said he loved me. He said he would give up the world for me. And now he goes and he finds satisfaction and joy and pleasure and desire in something besides me. How will I ever measure up to a society that can keep girls 18 years old? When I am bearing children for him and my body is forever changed. If you want to plant deep seeds of doubt and discouragement and pain into your wife for the rest of her life, you go view pornography while you're married. I've had so many couples sitting in my office as a pastor over this one issue. And I want to tell you, it is almost impossible to overcome. Because the wound and the hurt is so great and so deep. So men, if this is an issue for you, you need to get with other men and you need to confess this and you need to start working it out now. Because it will be a plague upon your life and your marriage and it will affect your children in drastic ways. Ladies, if this is a struggle for you as well, you need to confess to other women. You need to have conversations. Because all I can tell you is it will destroy your soul. I have seen many soulless women sitting in my office because of the actions of their husbands. One last then. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is a final if then. That if you and I will walk in the way of the good, and that if we will keep to the paths of the righteous, then we will inhabit the land. Now there is so much meaning. This is so pregnant with meaning. This inhabiting of the land, the promised land, what this represented to the nation of Israel. I'm not going to go into that detail, but I will give us this. The land represents life. Because it is from the land that we draw food. It is from the land that we reap what we sow. And Solomon says, with the land, if we will reap righteously, if we will keep to the paths of the righteous, we will inherit the land. We will stay in the land. We will draw nourishment from the land. And those with integrity will remain in it. But if we don't, the wicked are cut off from the land. The treacherous will be rooted out of it. I can't help but draw the, 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 the image in my mind of Jesus in John 15. Abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The branches that don't abide, they get 
gathered up in a bundle and tossed in the fire because they're, they're, they're useless. But those that abide in the vine, they, they bear incredible fruit. It, when it comes to abiding, listen, there's a part where we have to remain, but yet we also have to, and we, we actively remain, but yet we're passive in the receiving of nourishment from the vine. It's a both and. It's active and it's passive. God's desire for you, His incredibly great desire, is that you would inherit the land. That you would sow good things by receiving, by listening, by seeking, by searching out His commands and His knowledge and His wisdom. God wants to pour this out into your soul and produce amazingly beautiful fruit for you and for every person that you come in contact with. But if we are going to do this, we must pursue God. We must make sure that we set our feet and our hearts and our souls and our minds and our ears and our hands to, to be in the vine so that we can benefit from the land, that we can benefit from Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit that is within us. Church, these are all fights worth fighting. Righteousness is always worth fighting for. Though we may get tired and weary, it is in our weakness that Christ becomes strong. It is because we have the Holy Spirit in us that we can be energized and empowered to fight this fight of righteousness, justice, and equity. My prayer for us is that we would see the value of wisdom, that we would see the value of knowledge, that we would see the value of, of properly fearing the Lord, and that we would be spurred on and encouraged by the sacrifice of Jesus for us. That we would be willing to lay down our lives for what is good and what is right and what is true in this life. At this time, I'll go ahead and invite the band back up. It is here that we will move into communion. Each and every week when we take communion, we invite you as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, to come and remember Christ's body that was broken and blood that was shed on our behalf. Is it not an amazing thing that you and I, like Aniel read from Ephesians 2, that we were once children of wrath? And we deserve that wrath. We've got to be honest with this, you know? We deserve that consequence of God's wrath. But in His mercy, while we were still sinners, He made us righteous. If you are a child of God, you have been made completely and totally righteous. All the sin you have ever committed has been forgotten. It has been tossed as far as the east is from the west. Though there are parts of this message that was very heavy, 
You should not leave here with a heavy heart. You may leave here heavy because of what is taking place in the world. But may that heaviness be supported and alleviated by the fact that you who were once dead in the trespasses of your sin, God has come to this earth and lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death that you should have died so that you could be redeemed and reconciled to spend eternity with Him forever. And out of that, may we live grateful lives because of the good and the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we, like Paul, the most vile of, sin vile of sinners, have been forgiven of all of our sins. And there is a God who loves us in such an incredible way that he would give up his own life for us so that we could be reconciled to him. You may take communion whenever you feel free.